Father, we love you. We come to you in prayer now, asking that you would speak to us, that you'd meet us in this moment, that the same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead would be uh, growing in us and filling us and moving us, making us more in the likeness of Jesus, something only you can do. That's what we're praying for, God, that you would do those things that we cannot do. We admit our own strivings. We admit that we've gone after other gods. We come here now to meet with you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is so great to worship with you wherever you may be. My name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and we love online worship and love worshiping with you, whether it be a Sunday morning or you're on a break right now somewhere, checking in with us in worship. It is really an honor in the midst of this season uh, to join with you in this way. I asked a guy recently, you know, I asked that question, how are you doing, which uh, I've realized uh, before (laughs) this season was just sort of a normal question, like an informal greeting, you know, how are you doing? You can answer how are you doing with how you doing? You can answer how you're doing with, hey, man. But I realize now, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, when you say how you're doing, people actually really think about it <laughs> now. They're, they have to think, like, how am I going to answer this question? And I asked, I asked this guy, how you doing? And I could tell that he was actually thinking about it. Like, I, I realize that now when somebody asks me, how am I doing? I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, like, how bad do I look? <laughs> you know, what am I, I going to say? What am I going to put out there? But I asked him, how are you doing? And this was his answer after some thought. And I really liked it. I've actually been using it myself, he said, uh, he said, you know what? I am, I'm good in the things that matter. That's what he said. He said, I'm good in the things that matter. And I could tell by his thought process and just talking to him a little bit, what he meant was when he really thought about it, uh, you know, his family was healthy, his bills were paid. He could have gone on and on and on about a bunch of stuff, but he said, uh, I'm good. I'm good in the things that matter. I realize everybody watching this right now might not be able to say I'm good in, in the things that matter. So I just want to want to recognize that. That you may be watching this right now and you're like, I'm in the struggle of my life. And if I was honest with somebody who asked me how, how I was doing, I don't know what I would say. And so you may just still be saying fine or, or, or answering the how you doing with how are you doing. But I want to talk to you today, followers of Christ, people who might say, I would give my all for Jesus. I would seek Jesus with all of my heart. And again, I want to recognize not everybody watching this is in that place, and we love that. We love if you're watching and you're curious. We love if you're seeking. We love if you're watching right now and you're like, I don't even know why I'm watching. I don't even know why I'm listening. But even for you, I want you to hear today how far the Christian can take that line, I'm good in the things that matter. It's like Well, you'll see. Uh, Let me read the scripture to you. It's from Philippians. We're picking up in the study that we've been in the last few weeks. We're in chapter three, and uh, the verses we're going to look at today start with this line. It says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So this is Paul talking to a church uh, in a place called Philippi 2,000 years ago. He knows this church. He loves this church. He's teaching this church. And he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. Loss. So he's saying the things that were, that were big time stuff for me right now, he's saying they're now, I consider them less. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss. So Paul's building an argument right now. He's saying uh, the things that I used to think were gain or loss, but then he says, I consider everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He continues to build. He says, I consider them garbage. So he says, the things that were gained in my life are lost. He says, everything is lost. And then he, he goes all out and says, I actually consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying here in Philippians, I've had a lot of cool stuff happen in my life. And actually, if you want to go back and look right before these verses, Paul lists all the cool things that he's accomplished in his life. We've talked about this before. Like These are the things up on Paul's wall, his degrees, his, his accomplishments. He says, but I consider all the cool stuff lost for Jesus. Compared to Jesus, nothing. I consider them garbage. He has learned that those aren't the things. Paul is saying in a manner, he's saying, I'm good in the things that matter. Something he's learned. And there's a word for this, and the word for it is perspective. Perspective is purely just the attitude that we have towards something in our life. So we all have our circumstances. Our perspective is how we're looking at it. Our perspective is the attitude towards it. So it sounds like in reading this letter that for some time, Paul has regarded his degrees and his training and his pedigree and his accomplishments with a certain attitude. He's had a certain perspective and a certain way of looking at them. But now he's saying, I met Jesus. Better yet, if you know Paul's story, he's saying, Jesus came and found me out on the street, put me on my knees, and saved my ever-loving life, changed me, pulled me up off the ground, took me from a path that I was on to destruction of myself and others, and saved me. So Paul's saying, yeah, I've done some cool stuff, and I have some real struggles in my life right now, but all of it, everything, compared to Jesus right now, He's like, I put it in a garbage sack and take it to the dump compared to my Lord. That's perspective. So here's some truth for you. The struggle with perspective is real. It's a real struggle. I don't know if you heard Pastor Mark's sermon from last week. It really uh, got me. Go back if you didn't hear it. Go back if you did hear it. <laughs> um, I, I have. And it, I heard what he said. He was reading the same passages in Philippians. There's a verse in chapter 1, verse 27 that says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus, whatever happens. And so what we hear there, what I, what I heard Mark preaching to us last week is like, I'm not just called to follow Christ when times are good. I'm not called to follow Christ when everything is going my way. I'm not called to conduct my life in a manner worthy of Jesus when my plan is working out the way I want it. That scripture says, what? Whatever happens. Whatever happens. Man, that sermon last week changed my perspective. On Sunday, I was bebopping around the house on Sunday afternoon. I listened to it three times, and I was like, yes, I got it. Thank you, God, for getting that message to me. And then um, Monday happened. So I would say I had the right perspective until Monday. If you like saying things with a preacher, you could say that right now. Until Monday. Monday... You know, I had to put a mask on for all my conversations, important conversations, and, and it's hard to tell how people are feeling and, 
and express myself. Monday, I had to sit through a Zoom training call. Help us, Lord. Monday, I had to record a video on Monday afternoon, and it took me 20 times to get through the first paragraph. My mind was not clear. My words were not coming. And by the end of Monday, I was thinking differently than Sunday. I lost perspective. I couldn't even remember who Mark Youngman was. (laughs) The struggle with perspective is real. And so we have to constantly, it's why you're doing this right now, we have to regularly, constantly come back and set our lives up next to the Word of God. Give up our attitudes that may not be in line with what the Spirit is growing in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We have to return over and over. We have to repent over and over. We have to remember over and over and be comforted and strengthened. That's why we're doing this right now for the lifeline that is perspective. The lifeline we're going to talk about today is actually perspective. It's that crucial. It could save your day. And so I've been thinking about it. If I can line up a bunch of days that have been saved by having the right perspective, a mind set on Christ, if I can put day after day together, guess what I've just saved? My life. I see people, you know, who are so mad about politics, so mad about the economy, so mad about an annoying neighbor or whatever it is, still in the blank. Their perspective is off and it starts by a day or two being stolen, and then all of a sudden, something, uh, something like that has stolen their whole life. This lifeline of perspective is so important because it's the perspective that leads us and helps us gain access to the power. Listen, Paul says, yeah, I consider all this stuff less, all the other stuff lost in comparison to Christ. That's the perspective, is saying all that other stuff does not measure up to Jesus. But listen to what he says again. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So the lifeline is perspective, and the perspective leads to power. When I have perspective, I have all kinds of power, power over my mind, power of my actions, power of my words, and it is actually the power of Jesus' resurrection which gives Christians the ability to be good in the things that matter even when our circumstances are off. So if you want power in your life, you have to get your mind right. You have to set your mind over and over. You have to change your perspective. You have to know who Jesus is and get Jesus in the rightful place in your life and in your thinking. And that's where we found power. And the power is actually found, this is, what, this is what these verses blew me away that Paul was saying. The power is actually found in a secret that most people don't want to talk about. But Paul cares so much about this church, he goes for it. He doesn't leave it out. The power is found in participating in the suffering of Jesus The power is found in participating in the suffering of humankind. The power is not turning our eyes or wanting to avoid suffering, which is a natural reaction to suffering. It's actually participating in it. Listen, I didn't read you the whole verse. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The lifeline's perspective, the perspective 
gains us access to power, but the power is found in participation in suffering. If you can for a moment, I want you to just think logically um, because any thought about suffering, there's a natural reaction that we want to get away from suffering, like we want to avoid suffering. But logically, think with me for a moment on this resurrection power thing that we say we want access to. Logically, we can only know resurrection if we know death. Resurrection is life from death, life out of death, power out of suffering. So resurrection power is only available to those who've died, who know suffering, like who intimately and personally know suffering. I gathered with some good friends recently. Uh, we were celebrating one of our buddies' upcoming wedding. So it was just a, uh, five or six of us. We got together to fish and, and uh, grill out and have this celebration. And before we ate our dinner, one of our friends spoke up, and he was speaking to the groom-to-be. Uh, like, we were grabbing our plates, and he had this thing that he wanted to say. This is what he said, something like this. He said, he, said, he was speaking to the groom-to-be. He said, I remember when you called and told me. And I'm listening in. I'm thinking that he's saying, I remember when you called and told me, you know, you were getting married, but that's not what he was talking about. He was actually about to say that he remembers when his, our friend called him and told him that he was getting a divorce from his first wife. And he says in this kind of toast, he says, it was a death. And he said, we died that death together. I realized in that moment, this friend had walked closer with him through the pain, through the months of despair. And I thought, I might leave that out of the toast, (laughs) you know, for the celebration. But these are Christian men. And he said this, he said, now, that we have gone through death together, we can experience this resurrection together. Now that we've gone through suffering, we can truly know life. It was a powerful moment. We shed tears before eating our steak on paper plates. The celebration was so powerful because we suffered together. I don't even know all the details. I don't know what they walked through, but I could tell that those two had walked through the valley together and they had deep participation in suffering And now, just by being somebody in the room, I could feel the power of life, the fullness of resurrection, which is known to those who don't turn their eyes from suffering or avoid it, but acknowledge it and live it. I don't know how much power you want right now. I don't know how much power you need. But if you want resurrection, tomb opening, life after death power, then you can't skip the suffering of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, includes this full participation in the suffering that we are going through right now, and we have to participate in it. It's why I've grown so excited about the future of the church. Not just Providence Church, but the whole church, but particularly Providence Church, and the reason is, is we have participated in suffering together, maybe like we never have before. I don't know if you can feel it. Like in a time where so much has been taken away from us, and what I found we talk about the most is what has been taken away from us. We haven't been able to worship together in the same room. We haven't been able to have our small groups in the same way. We haven't been able to do this Bible study or that Bible study. But there is one thing that we have shared. There is one thing that we have all participated in, and that is suffering. We've all been in it together. Even though we've been apart, we've participated in the same thing. And so we don't shield our eyes from it. and Instead, we participate together, and God fills us with power. And that's why this perspective thing is so important every day. 
It's why we have to be consistent in our obedience to Christ. It's why we have to be consistent, consistent in our devotion to Christ. One reason that I think consistency in worship, whether it be online or in person, is so important is because the struggle with perspective is real. Recent studies, more than one, have said in the midst of pandemic that now two-thirds of Christians in America are not worshiping uh, every week anymore. Two-thirds of folks, whether it be online or in person, have just kind of slipped away from it. I guarantee you that will lead to widespread perspective loss for Christians and will lead us to being a weak, anemic force when right now what our world needs is the power of Jesus' resurrection. I don't want us to miss our opportunity to share Christ. I don't want us to look back on this time and think, man, I lost my perspective for a day and then a bunch of days. But the reason I'm excited is because I'm kind of claiming right now with us, I'm saying, but not us. We will suffer together. We will not ignore the suffering, and we will find great power. And I'm not one to make predictions. I'm not the prophet or son of a prophet. (laughs) But I, with great certainty, can see that on our horizon are great miracles, a time where we will glory in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we will know that because of our shared participation in this time of suffering, we are experiencing the fullness of the power of resurrection because Jesus does not come just for our good times. He comes and fully participates in what is happening with humankind. But listen to what Paul says is the key to all of this. If any of that has sounded good to you, the key, Paul says, is knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. My 89-year-old grandfather has been moved to a memory care facility. The strongest man, the sharpest man, one of my great heroes in life, is now under supervisory care every day in his last season of life. And it's been tough, tough not to see him. I know that you have loved ones like that. It's actually broken our hearts in this time. And he's been there for some months, and we realize, you know, that he won't be able to go back to his home that he's lived in for a long time. And so my mom called Rachel and I, and she said, you should go by Wilbur's house. That's his name. That's what he asked us to call him when we were little toddlers, just his name, Wilbur. And so she said, go by Wilbur's house, and, um, you know, he's got all that he needs in his new place, and there might be some things there that are sentimental to you or something for the girls. And so Rachel and I went, and my 89-year-old grandfather has 89 years of cool stuff. Conway Twitty albums, uh, old tools, like multiple leather jackets. And I gathered up just a few things. I found these old denim shirts that I remember him wearing on the farm. I got my girls each something to remember. Cool stuff. Stuff that I will treasure for the rest of my life. But do you know what? I would put it all in a garbage sack and drive it to the dump in comparison to knowing him. I'd throw it all away for a conversation that was clear. What I'm saying is that stuff's so cool, but compared to knowing him, compared to what we have in relationship, it's nothing. I love the church. I mean, like, I even love, like, the stuff about the church that happens in the church. You know, like, I love church. That's my, it's my life. 
I love handshakes to greet people, you know, at the front door of church. I love the way Christian men on the way into church will kind of poke fun at each other. It's their way. It's our way of saying we love each other. I love hearing an older saint sing a song behind me in church. Since I was a kid, I would stop and listen to somebody sing a song that they've been singing longer than I've been alive. There's a power in it. I, I love, you know, hearing Bibles open. I love hearing babies talk when they're not supposed to be talking in the middle of church. I love seeing people smile during the sermon when they're not supposed to be smiling and laughing with their spouse. They should be listening. <laughs> I love it. I love the way water feels on my skin after a baptism and then preaching the word. I love church. I love singing the doxology, which is this ancient hymn, and feeling connected not just to people in a room, but to people throughout centuries who sang the same words of praise no matter what was happening. But in this season, we have gotten to do none of those things. And so I've gained something else in this season of my life, and it is perspective. I have learned that what I really love is knowing Jesus. There's nothing that compares with knowing Jesus. There's nothing sentimental about that because it's real now in every moment, in every second of suffering, in every participation in uh, the hard things that are going on in this world. Jesus is real and we know him. And that's what I think Paul was saying about all this stuff. There's cool stuff, but he said, compared to Jesus, I would put it in a garbage bag and I would throw it away. And sometimes, guys, we actually have to go through a struggle and go through loss and go through death to really gain that perspective. And that's where we find power in the participation in suffering. True relationship, I learned at the uh, you know, bachelor party there in that moment, true relationship is participating in someone's sufferings. You have not truly come to know someone unless you've gone into the participation of their sufferings. Christ entered our suffering so he could fully know us. And now we get to participate in his sufferings, fully know him. Thank you, Jesus, for not being a transactional kind of savior. What I'm saying is this is not a moment where we just say, thank you, Jesus, and move on. It's where we say, I'll join you, Jesus. I'll join you on your walk to the cross. I'll join you in your suffering so that others can be free. I'll join you in your suffering so that every injustice can meet the justice of our God. And so the question that Christians have to face today is not whether you're going to worship online or worship in person. It is, would you lose everything for Jesus? Would you lose your preferences for Jesus Would you lose your rights for Jesus? Would you lose your life for Jesus? Because the true gospel is not just something that we interact with and feel good about and walk away from. It's something that changes us fully because it encounters every broken place in us and restores us and redeems us and resurrects us to new life. It's in the losing that we are able to say, I'm good in the things that matter. You see, the Christian can answer the question of how you're doing with, I'm good in the things that matter because we have this perspective of who Jesus really is 
in the midst of suffering, pain, triumph, success, accomplishments, all of it. Listen to it again. Paul says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I want to know Christ. What about you? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. We're going to sing through the doxology. Um, I was reading about it this week. This song, this song of praise, this hymn, most people think is the most sung song by Christians in the last three or 400 years. It's just been sung over and over and over and over. We're going to sing it at in-person worship uh, to close out our service as a way of connecting with us here online. So as we're singing it, the church that will be gathering here will be singing it. Gina, our worship leader, reminded our team this week that the doxology was actually the first song that was ever sung in this church building. Before we had a sound system, before any chairs were in here, before the, <laughs> the stage was finished, any of that, a group of us came in here, and I don't remember how it happened or who planned it, but we just sang out, praise God from whom all blessings flow. A church that didn't even have a building. We can relate to what's going on now. And, and so we just sang our praises. And so I invite you now to sing out fully to God a song of praise that he is worthy no matter what. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.